This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Previously on Colors. The racist murders of 10 African Americans in Buffalo, New York, struck a chord with Tharaha Thavakumar. I live about, you know, an hour away from Buffalo. Um, I was numb. I was afraid. She warned us right here on Colors in December of 2021 that something like this was coming. So my warning was that this is happening and we need to be aware and we need to do something now. But for some reason, nobody's hearing her. That's my frustration with this is this is happening and no one seems to want to acknowledge it. Coming up in this episode of Colors. We are a violent society. Mass shootings in America, supermarkets, elementary schools. There are more guns in in our society than, than people. And that gun culture is really showing us how dangerous it is. Gretchen Sullivan Soren, Cooperstown graduate program at the State University of New York, Oneonta. She's a distinguished professor of museum studies, and she says it's especially dangerous for people of color right now. The, re- the replacement theory and some of these other ideas that demonize people of color. We talk about what to do about it. That's coming up in this episode of Colors. Simmering racial tensions. Segregation now and tomorrow and forever. Fighting injustice. I have a dream. Conflict looming. Brutality exposed. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. The search for solutions starts here. From WTOP in Washington, D.C. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. Check the mic and make sure it sounds right, boys. Julie Pham, Vietnamese, American, born in Vietnam, living in Seattle. My name is Darren Brown. My tribal affiliation is Cochiti Pueblo in New Mexico. My name is Debbie Ratliff. I am of Irish, Scottish, and Puerto Rican descent. I was born in Puerto Rico. My name is JJ Green. I'm black, and this is Colors. Our guest today is Gretchen Sullivan Soren, Cooperstown graduate program at the State University of New York, Oneonta. She's a distinguished professor of museum studies. She's also the author of Driving While Black, African Americans and the Road to Civil Rights. And she's an acclaimed historian. And we've spoken to her before about the dangerous situation that exists in the U.S. The nation has been rocked in the last couple of weeks with mass casualty events. So we have a conversation with her about history, what we've learned from it, where we're going, what's happening now, and perhaps how to navigate the future. Gretchen, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, We've spoken to you before about issues of race on the Colors podcast. And, um, you know, you're a very accomplished writer and you have some uh, great thoughts that you know, I'd like to share with others when it comes to some of these complicated racial issues. And there are several very complicated ones right in front of us now. The Buffalo shooting, you're in New York, Mm -hmm. and this took place not too terribly far away from where you are. 
Then there's the shooting at a school in Uvalde, Texas. Um, And there was another shooting actually out in California in between these two. These all of these shootings had something, some racial element or ethnicity element connected to them, um, whether it was intent or whether it was victims or ideology, etc. I just want to get our listeners the opportunity to hear from someone like you who writes about these things and thinks about these things, what your thoughts are about what's taking place or what you've heard and seen in the last couple of weeks. Thanks, JJ. You know, we're all really horrified at what's been what's been happening um, across the country and um, really kind of frightened that the the rhetoric that we've been hearing um, coming out of uh, television and talk some talk radio shows um, about the re- the replacement theory and some of these other ideas that um, demonize people of color um, seem to justify people going out and and murdering them and and murdering children, which is kind of horrifying. Um, so I'm you know the rhetoric has has kind of heated up to this incredibly. Um, crazy level where uh, it, it seems to um, have made people of color out to be these kind of uh, this kind of groups that are that are out to to you know, change the country in some way, and I think that's kind of justifying these shootings in the minds of these people who are very disturbed and very angry. Yeah, and. and what I want to ask no. you about is some of this rhetoric you're hearing. I mean, what? So tell us a little bit about what you're hearing, the rhetoric you're hearing from those those outlets that you're hearing it from. And, and what what do you think is behind it? Well, the idea of uh, the, the replacement theory that people of color are trying to replace white people in this country and turn it into a um, majority uh, black or Latino uh, country. Um, that there's some kind of a, a cabal out there actually uh, trying to trying to do this. I think that's one of the things that I've been hearing. Um, and that's come from some Congress people as well. Not, you know, at least Stefanik has been and talking about the replacement theory. And uh, it's not only the commentators on Fox News and and some of these other conservative outlets. I think, sadly, there is an element in this country that that sees that they do better with negative, you know, instead of trying to build build the country, what can we do? What positive things, what positive changes can we make in the country? They have found that they're much more successful um, when they tear down a particular group or demonize a particular group um, because people are terrified. Um, and I, I think that's the that's what we're facing right now. What what do you feel? How How is all this talk impacting you? And I ask that question because several close friends and, and, and colleagues have said to me, wow, I'm really concerned that this might not be the end of this kind of shooting activity or attacks. I'm concerned that there may be more or there may be an increase in this kind of thing. How is this striking you? How do you feel? Yeah, well, I'm I'm a, a mother and a grandmother, so I have two young granddaughters. So this is terrifying to me because they are in school all day, um, and 
you know, of course, it, it, it seems like these are people that don't care about young children. Um, but also as a professor, um, of, as I teach about museums, just um, a couple of months ago, a man jumped over the desk at the Museum of Modern Art in New York City and stabbed two of the museum workers because they wouldn't let him in to see a movie. Um, and so um, in my professional life, we've been talking about um, safety and security in museums as museums um, try to reach out to communities and talk about social justice and talk about um, voting rights and these issues that are um, hot button issues in society that, that providing, we used to think that museums were, were safe places that people could come and have conversations, civil conversations about social justice issues, about climate change, about um, voting rights. Um, but we're finding that maybe museums are also places that are subject to this kind of violence. We are a violent society and there, there, are, there are more guns in, in our society than, than people. And that gun culture is really um, proving, showing us how dangerous it is. We see that those countries that have um, gotten rid of guns have much lower rates of violence than, than our country. Yeah. Uh, Gretchen, the two shooters uh, in Buffalo and in Uvalde, Texas, were both 18 years old. Um, and for all intents and purposes, one of them is dead. The other one's in prison, but, or in jail. And essentially his free life is over. Uh, and I just kind of wonder, I know you're not a therapist, but, um, sometimes we journalists and, and professors like you sometimes are cast into that role of thinking that way because of the analytical, uh, approach we try to apply to, you know, our engagement with our audiences, whether it's students or whether it's people we write or broadcast to. Um, when you look at the age of these people who are doing these things and, you know, knowingly, I guess they understand that if you go into a place with a gun and try to kill a lot of people, somebody's going to come and try to kill you too. What is it that's driving this kind of thinking based on, you know, your conversations with people around you? You know, I, I don't know. I, I do know that 18 year old boys don't have fully formed brains. <laughs> I know that they're not um, fully formed, but they obviously they've been radicalized in some way. Something has gotten to them, whether it's, whether it's these, television programs or radio programs. I think there was a manifesto and I haven't, I haven't read this. I haven't read any of the manifesto, but I did hear uh, my husband, who was a political scientist was telling me that there was a multiple page manifesto that he posted um, that explained how he had been radicalized. And this is, this is the Buffalo shooter, right? This is the Buffalo shooter, right? This is the, the guy that walked into a supermarket and started spraying it with bullets it's, it's incomprehensible. You, you don't understand. Yeah. Normal people can't understand how these things happen. So what can we do? Programs like this, people like us, people like those, you know, and you have a very broad, I think, circle of friends, et cetera, because a lot of people, and I want to say this on the show and thank you personally, 
after you and Mark Rexton were on this show from Car and Driver, um, a lot of your friends, a lot of your contacts and coworkers or people you know wrote to us, sent us their reflections and thoughts about race. So I'm just wondering, what do we do as a community that's interested and cares about these problems? What do we do? We have to do something about all these guns. I mean, that's my view. Obviously, we're that's very difficult in this culture. We are a culture. We have a culture of, of guns. Um, but I, I really don't understand the culture of uh, military weapons, you know, AR-15s. And uh, I don't understand. Those aren't used for hunting. I don't understand why anyone needs those kinds of guns, those kinds of military weapons. And those are the ones that do the most damage. Um, and the, the large magazines, I don't know why we need those. You know, when you look at other countries and you see what other countries have done in the wake of, of these kinds of shootings, you realize that it, it is possible to cut down on the number of shootings. I also I wish that we could return to some form of civil discourse. Um, and I do think that's one of the things that, that we are doing in museums is, is attempting to um, foster in communities civil conversation, teaching people and and enabling people to have conversations in their communities that uh, where they disagree, but still remain civil and not, um, you know, fanning the flames of, of, of violence. So is that possible today with, you know, with the advent of social media and technology, because, that seems to be behind a lot of, I guess, the actions or the thinking and certainly the radicalization of a lot of people. Does, does there need to be some kind of adjustment in terms of how we interact with social media in order to clear the way so that those discussions that you're trying to have at the museum level and that we want to have on the I guess the the traditional media level and in in communities between people who disagree and, and and to have these conversations in a civil way. Somebody asked me the other day if social media needs to be regulated or something like that. What are your thoughts about this? You know, I, we've been talking. I would love to see it regulated. I think that civil discourse, the the hate speech, has gotten out of hand. Um, And personally, I would love to see it regulated, although I think we have to be careful, you know, because there is freedom of speech in this country. But we see the people who are yelling, yelling the loudest about freedom of speech, wanting to ban books. Right. There are 850 books now on the Texas list of books to be banned. So where does where does banning of books fit in with freedom of speech? How does that um, you know, that that's kind of. the other side of this, that we're, we're banning a lot of material. Perhaps we can ban, you know, if you're going to ban books, maybe you, you can also ban. Um, I think it's more important to ban hate speech. And this is, this is basically what we're dealing with is a lot of rhetoric that demonizes. And that is, a, it's really about hating particular groups. This is, we are a nation that is composed entirely of immigrants. Unless you're a Native American, you are an immigrant to this country. Yeah. Or your your ancestors were immigrants to this country. 
or they were brought here forcibly in change, as were our ancestors, right? So um, the only people that can say they're not immigrants are Native Americans, indigenous people. Um, so how are how is it that we're talking about, you know, a country being overrun by immigrants? That's the same rhetoric that was used in the late 19th century, country being overrun by immigrants. And yet um, that really added not only to the diversity of the country, but to the richness um, of the country and to, um, you know, making making us a, a better and stronger yeah. people. So immigration is is inevitable. It's it's what it's how we were formed. It's part of our DNA. Yeah. I want to go back to something that we talked about um, a while ago, the first time we we talked and you uh, were talking about the Green Book. Um, you wrote about it uh, mm-hmm. and you wrote about why the Green Book was necessary. And, you know, there are those who say that kind of stuff is, again, necessary in this country. Uh, and certainly what took place in Buffalo uh, suggests, um, well, maybe we do need to be more considerate and careful about where we go and how we get there and when we go and all that. I'm just wondering, um, based on not just Buffalo, but other things that have taken place since we spoke, which was a good while ago, close to a year and a half or more, I guess. um, How do you feel about going back to that kind of thing. I mean, that has to be kind of disappointing, no? I think it's really disappointing. And I think we've already gone back to it. I know that there have been several um, authors who have written kind of green books for modern times, you know, pl- books that talk about the um, welcome or the, the comfort that people might feel in particular places. Um, what's unfortunate is that now, how do you know? You know, it would all be by reputation, right? You wouldn't necessarily, you would never think of Buffalo as a place that wasn't welcoming to African-Americans. Buffalo has had a a longstanding um, black community. Um, They have a rich history. They've had a black newspaper. They've had um, African-American restaurants and hotels and things. And so you would never think that Buffalo, New York was not, a welcoming place for African-Americans. And yet um, he intentionally, this, this murderer intentionally chose that black community to shoot, shoot up. So how would you, how would you identify these places that are safe places for people of color? How would you, how would you find them? Is any place safe? Yeah. (laughs) That's, that's, that, that's a great, great question. Um, and I have to admit, uh, in the last couple of years, certainly since George Floyd's death, and actually since the, the situation at the University of Virginia, um, in, I think the Unite the Right rally or whatever in 2017 or something like that, I've been thinking a lot more about where I go, when I go, how I go, et cetera, whether it's in the South or the North. And, um, you know, after the interview that we did with you at Mark Recton about the green book and et cetera, uh, in your work. Um, I've been thinking about it all the more. So now, uh, you know, just a few minutes left here. 
just I wonder if you would just kind of lay out for us what your thinking is about what Gretchen Soren. And, you know, I know you have a son and you told us about the conversations you had to have with your son. And you told us today about your daughter and your two granddaughters. What do you do? What is what are mothers and granddaughters and I mean, rather mothers and grandmothers and fathers and grandfathers do moving forward, considering these horrible situations that we've been faced with in public places like supermarkets and schools? You know, if you're if your kids are not safe in the public school, where are they safe? I think, sadly, we have to teach our children how to behave in the event that they encounter a shooter. I know that that is training that our graduate students get now, what to do in the event of an active shooter on campus. Um, it's, it's sad, but true, that, that we have got to um, you know, teach kids why they have to hide in uh, hide in their classroom with a, you know, a piece of paper over the over the glass window and lock the door. Um, we've got to teach our children because you can't you can't protect them from these people with all this firepower. You know, um, I'm I'm actually in a building that's mostly glass. So if if a shooter came here, you know, it's mostly glass. <laughs> uh, but. It's it's sad. I, we just uh, hope that perhaps some of this rhetoric will calm down, that perhaps the, the polarization of the country will resolve um, and that we'll get back to a place where people can have civil conversation and not blame one another for um, particular uh, inequities that they see. And I think that's, you know, we we, we tend to blame other people for our own life situations. And that is, you know, that leads to trouble. Yeah. That's so true. Gretchen, is there anything you want to add that I haven't asked about that you think is important today? (laughs) You know, um, this is such a disheartening situation. Um, And it's, it's so sad. And I, and I want to be optimistic and think, that each each time I you know I want to think this is going to be the last school shooting, but I'm I'm not convinced that it is the last one. Um, I'm I thought that what Biden did, then um, this is a kind of ancillary topic, which is um, some police reform. I think that was a a good step um, because I was actually surprised that the young man who did the shooting was taken into custody. Um, and my husband said to me, if he had been black, he would be dead. You no, know, but he was taken into custody. Yeah. So um, and that, you know, that perception that if the shooter had been an African-American, he would have been shot. You know, that's that's kind of a frightening prospect as well, that, um, you know, that your race would determine how you're handled um, yeah. by law enforcement. So um, I'm I'm hopeful that um, we can calm down the rhetoric um, that perhaps Biden can make some headway. Um, and I think these last several years um, have been problematic and perhaps we're on the, you know, perhaps things will improve as we go forward. <laughs> does it sound, does it sound terribly optimistic? Does it? <laughs> well, not at this point, but um, 
uh, in my view is we can never stop hoping. And I appreciate you for uh, giving us uh, the pathway to keep seeking that hope. So thank you again today, Gretchen. Well, thank you very much, JJ. Stay tuned for some thoughts about race in America and details about our next guest. You're listening to Colors. Dina Cervantes, uh, Chicana from Los Angeles. And when I think about uh, race relations and, and since the death of George Floyd, and particularly what I've experienced in conversations with like my parents, my family, and, and Latinos, was that it hit and it hit and it landed differently because I think for the first time there was a true understanding of why people say black lives matter versus all lives. I think it finally landed that we're highlighting that an injustice for one group is an injustice for all and that it's not about separation and and the need to finally really come together. Um, And that's not that we hadn't been paying attention to all the other countless uh, injustices that have happened to so many other victims at the hands of police brutality, but it landed. It landed in a very different way. Um, And I know that because I hear the conversations that happen now so differently around the tables. And that by owning that Las Vidas Negras Importan does not mean brown lives don't. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. If you have any questions or comments about Colors, send us an email. You can reach us at colors at thecolorspodcast.com. That's colors at thecolorspodcast.com. Julie Pham, Vietnamese, American, born in Vietnam, living in Seattle. My name is Darren Brown. My tribal affiliation is Cochiti Pueblo in New Mexico. My name is Debbie Ratliff. I am of Irish, Scottish, and Puerto Rican descent. I was born in Puerto Rico. My name is J.J. Green. I'm Black, and this is Colors. Coming up in our next episode of Colors. You heard from her last week talking about the mass murder in Buffalo at the Topps supermarket and how she had warned about something like this possibly happening. Now, she's going to be back on our next show because she is a licensed therapist. She talks to students of all ages. So you're going to hear from her again. And this is what she's got to say. We've become really desensitized to these shootings, right? Like even if it was the day after the Buffalo shooting or like the day after the school shooting, we're we're expected to continue like something massive did not just happen and affect all of us. Um, And I think that's the hard part is that we've it's become so normal that we talk about it and then we're done. Um, And that's not okay. That's coming up in our next episode of Colors. That's going to wrap it for another show. We appreciate you letting us into your ear. Thanks to Hillary Howard, Mike Jakaitis. Thanks to Joel Oxley, Julia Ziegler. Thanks to all of the folks at the WTOP social desk. Thank you to the elderly, the children. Thank you to the people in the middle. Thank you, all of you, for just being you. And why am I saying this? I'm saying this because I really am truly grateful for you and grateful for this opportunity to be able to engage with you each week. Thanks to Jesse Gallagher and Cosmic for the music. Thanks to Off Shane as well. And for you, just remember, 
keep talking to each other. And just as important, keep listening to each other. You can subscribe to Colors on Apple, Spotify, Podcast DC, Podcast One, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America.